Hello listeners, my name is Slau and welcome to another episode of the LSD Focal Point podcast. Today I'm very excited to be joined by Tim Bannister. Tim is a director of data services at Rightmove, which is a UK-based company which publishes listings and research property. Prior to joining Rightmove, Tim was the vice president for institutional equity sales for HSBC in the UK and a senior associate for Boozing Company. He graduated from the University of Durham and received his MBA from the Wharton School. Tim, how are you doing? Thanks. Great, not a problem. Pleasure to have you. So to kick things off, for those who might not know, could you tell us more about Rightmove and what your role entails? Yeah, I'll start off with Rightmove. Rightmove is a property uh, website, property portal. We've been going since uh, 2000, this year's 21st birthday. And we are, we're a listed company, we're 3100. And effectively what we do is we, where I think about it is we have properties that are put onto our website and we have about two to 300,000 properties in a normal year added per month. And then we have people coming to look at those properties to find their next home. And the properties coming on from new homes developers and from estate agents and from letting agents for, for rental properties, they'll be putting the properties on our site and I consider that supply side of things. And then people come and look at those properties. And we, we have about 1.6 billion page views from that demand side of things a, a month. About 1.7 billion minutes is spent on our site every month. We're one of the top 10 business websites in the country. And in data services, which is a bit of the business that I run, we take that data and we turn that data into products and services. We crunch that data and um, we started out back in 2007 really using that data to support uh, high street lenders making lending decisions, automated valuation models for properties for mortgage lending purposes and for um, valuing portfolios of properties on mortgage back books. And over the years, we've added to that portfolio of services that we have to support other businesses within the property valuation space, so initially surveyors who are valuing property, and then everybody else who's interested actually in, in place, space, value. So that the investors or new homes developer, government who are trying to set policy for, for those, those players within the sector. That's really what we do in, in right now overall, and then in my specific part of the business, which is the data services business. Perfect. Going back to your career before Rightmove, you've held positions within investment banking before moving to consulting, and now obviously you're in you're in property and data services. Could you tell us what led you to take this career path? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting sometimes to think back about one's career path and think about it in in you know those terms. Yeah, way, way back when I, I started out in investment banking initially in London. I mean, prior to that, I'd always worked in banking in my holidays. I took a gap year before going up to Durham University and I worked in the back office and doing currency option confirmations for Deutsche Bank and it's a temp job. So it was, it was a job that I managed very lucky to get in order to basically fund my that trip around the world. I spent a bit of time in the back office there and I think that's the time currency option confirmations. So it was all manually done back in those days and I'm sure it's done at press of a button these days. But anyway, that's what I, I sort of started out doing. And once you're in that process and you've seen a bank it's quite an exciting place to be going onto the trading floors was really exciting and you know i was then subsequently able to get another job the following summer i worked uh, in banking again the next the next year and then got my internship at paribas the year, the, the year after that and it was just a natural it was a natural thing really to go into into banking it was kind of i already had that experience and that's where i looked for a graduate graduate traineeship and and I was lucky enough to, to get a role at um, HSBC on the investment banking program. And that was absolutely you know, fantastic. It was uh, an amazing program with some amazing people. They really looked after you. And I came down to London 
and uh, spent, I think, the first two months on a residential training course, learning, learning about taking your exams and learning about derivatives and, and so on and so forth. Really interesting stuff. And you know, then came down to London to work on the, in, in corporate finance initially, but it became, yeah, I think it became pretty clear to me that actually what I preferred would be to be working in a more, in the environment of a trading floor. Just seen much more. Whenever we're doing equity capital markets, for example, you go onto the trading floor every now and again, and you know, it was always very exciting. The buzz of the trading floor. I really, I really wanted to have that that buzz. Like the it seemed very, very interesting. It seemed high energy, and it was really the feel that excited me. It made me want to want to do it. And I was very lucky then to get my role out in New York to do equity capital, um, equity sales on the trading floor out in New York. So selling to U.S. institutional investors, European equity research, selling to U.S. institutional investors. And uh, yeah, I ended up staying out there for five years and, you know, loved every minute of it. I'm working with HPC out there. Again, it was about the, the people really, and the excitement of the, of the trading floor and the camaraderie. We had people from all around the world working next to you. Just a really exciting place to be in, in Wall Street and, and New York and Manhattan. On is a pretty fun place to work. Even though there were some trying times whilst I was out there, I went out there initially in 2000 and and we went the various cycles we went through, which were, were quite quite challenging. But but this camaraderie of of, of the, the team and on really made and got you through that experience. It, it was a yeah wonderful time. But it became pretty clear to me whilst I was doing it that there was I wanted a bit bit more. And that that came clear to me when I was spending time working with management teams for businesses. One of the roles of an equity salesperson is uh, obviously you're picking up the phone and you're talking about business, you're talking about equities to hedge funds and other investors. But part of the role as well is to take around European management teams to see uh, US investors. As part of that, you end up spending a bit of time with those management teams. And it was really spending time, I, I took around the CFO of, the, of Adidas to see, to see US investors and spending time with that person and hearing him talk about his business and how he had a handle on the marketing. At that point, I realized that it was time to, to move because I needed, I would like to have experience a bit of that. And in the States, when, if you want to make that kind of move, if you've been in investment banking, kind of a natural flow again is to, is to go and do an MBA. That's the point I decided to do an MBA. I hadn't really, it's not necessarily built into the culture of your progression in the UK. I was really lucky to get into to Wharton and Genuinely had two of the greatest years of my life in Philadelphia and just an amazing experience and really lucky to go there. At the time, Booz Allen Hamilton, which became Booz and Company, are now Strategy And. By the time they were Booz Allen Hamilton and I really liked, it was basically a continuation of, of an MBA, but with a bit more uh, pressure, I suppose, and, <laughs> and a, bit more, uh, a bit more responsibility because people are actually going to be implementing the suggestions that you, you're making. But it, it was, yeah, so I suppose my career path up to that point was, a, was a, an odd one, but it made sense when you think about it all the way, all the way through if you chart it. And yeah, after, after three years doing some incredible projects at, at Booz, a real privilege to work there, you know, going and working with Premiership Football Club. I work with government organizations, telecoms organizations, a real, real uh, mix of different types of business and advising on a mix of different types of, of problems that they had. Again, it became clear to me that what I really wanted to do was rather than just advise and hand over a deck that I wanted to really actually be the person that would make the decision and then have to stand by that decision and make that decision work. And for all the, the joys of consulting, yeah, you don't get that. So 
at that point, it was, yeah, I started to think about moving on to, into industry. And yeah, 2010, I think it was, I was lucky enough to um, be contacted about uh, a role running lettings at Rightmove. And yeah, so went across to speak to, to the guys at, at Rightmove and the, the opportunity was to do exactly what I, I wanted. It sounded absolutely fascinating. Met the, the team and the CEO at the time and the CFO and the, and the I suppose, MD at the time, who's now the CFO, oh, CEO, sorry. And really thought they were very you know, honest and down to earth, but super intelligent and committed and insightful people and the type of people I want, would want to go and work with and the type of people I'd be able to learn, learn from. Yeah, went, went, made the move at that point into, into, into right move. And that was a very interesting time to be getting into, into property that was just coming out of the depths of the global financial crisis. And we were 200 people, a bit more than 200 people at the time. And then how moving things forward and driving some growth. And I spent time there running our lettings business then running our overseas business. And for the last six years or so, I've been running data at right move as i've described a little earlier about what that what that really means it's you know it's a number of different industries a number of different roles but i think the theme for me with my career path has always been to pursue something where you feel that you're really learning and you're working with people that you respect and you know ethically are doing the right thing and where there's a real challenge to continue to push yourself and that's kind of been i suppose the theme around my career path and how i've got to where i'm i am at the moment and what keeps me interested Great. Many users from personal investors to large firms use the original research produced by Rightmove. How do you approach conducting the research and what measures do you take to ensure you reach accurate conclusions? So I suppose in the case for, for us, we are, yeah, we, they, again, we're quite lucky in the fact that we do a lot of work to clean data when it comes onto, onto us. The data we're using is property that's being uploaded onto, onto the website. We have a whole data quality team of people that are you know, looking, looking at that data as it comes onto, onto, onto Rightmove. Um, we've got automated systems that are looking at that data, making sure that it's as correct as possible. But then obviously when it comes to, into our space, into the data services team, my, my part of the business, we then have additional checks and all that we're, we're doing on the data itself. And we then, I suppose, that's, I suppose the first point is that we are making sure that the data that we're using is as clean as possible. I think I'm sure loads of, 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 of your, your listeners you know, spend a bit of time doing data science or spend a bit of time crunching data and know that how important that is that like getting the data right in the first place, even before you're trying to do any analysis on it. That's first and foremost, and that's, that's what a lot of time is spent on. Yeah, and, and then you know, the analysis that we do, that's, we've got a great team of statisticians. We're working with our customers to formulate hypotheses with, to understand exactly what kind of information they want, and then going about building models and doing analysis to try and meet that need. And I suppose the way we ensure quality at that point and accuracy will depend on what the actual output is. But in, you know, in the case of a property valuation, for example, you'd always be comparing against a holdout sample or a sample of, of truth, which you're training a model against, which would be, for example, property valuations done by, well, you've always got your, your, your land registry information, which is the actual sold price of properties. But you also have surveyor information where people are human beings going out and high, highly trained uh, people who are valuing property. We've got some sources of truth in which we're able to compare against to make sure you know that we are as accurate as possible with, with our valuation, for example. But we're always aware and cognizant of the fact that, that the model is, that there's a confidence behind the model and you know, the, the predictions that you're making is, is based on the, the, um, the, quality, the amount and the quality of data you've got 
So we're putting in place, we put in place forecast standard deviation, for example, to give a yeah, to give a measure of how confident we are about actually the output of the of, of the model in, the, in that particular case. We're constantly, I suppose, at the, at the very front end in terms of how we get the data in the first place, then how we crunch that data, working with our customers trying to understand what it is they want and what level of, of response they want, what they need for, for their purposes, uh, and then making sure we're using the most appropriate method for confirming accuracy. Perfect, great. Moving now on to more industry-specific questions. In recent years, there's essentially been a trend towards conducting business online, and there's been talk of a declining high street. Given the effects of COVID-19, where many high street retailers can no longer afford to stay open, pay their rent, and pay their business rates, do you see the high street recovering? So yeah, I think yeah, we, we work with the data we look at generally on the residential side of things. We also, in my in my in my team, we also look at obviously we do have a really strong commercial property part of the, of the website and what we what we what we've seen from that is that since as we've come out of all of, of the various lockdowns we've seen a real bounce um, in interest on the retail side of things uh, and office side of things as well i suppose that is on the back of though obviously it's been pretty well documented about as you say as we move online you know shopping habits have changed or are changing they're finding a new you know, a new level. What are, what are what are the new shopping habits? How how is retail really going to respond? What is the new retail model going to look like? And I think that's probably still being very much you know worked through, isn't it? So where things will end up, I suppose it, it, it's it's hard to say. What we can say though is that from the residential side of things, what I think what's really interesting is that we we survey people during the during the as we came out of lockdown last summer. And what we found is many people had actually found, we asked them basically, had they, did they like the area they lived in more or less than they did previously? I, can, I suppose we we're kind of expecting people to be quite annoyed about where they were living because they'd been confined to quarters during lockdowns. And actually what we found is that people in the vast, well, in most cases, people had found that they either liked the place the same or indeed had actually increased. So people were falling back in love with their local the local areas and we know that you know very much part of your local areas you if you are living in sort of a village or town or even a city is, is your high street it's an important part of that community feel you know people going down there and actually that's one, one of the places that we we can connect with people i think people were finding that, that they were doing that and appreciating that during during lockdown i, I don't know where things will will where will will end up obviously we're seeing people there's change of use occurring from from into residential, for example. There's mixed use. There's change in, in in retail types. All that kind of those kind of changes. It's it's. I think we're still it's still probably unclear as where things might end up as we move into 2022, 2023, and and beyond. But one thing is is clear is that that element of community I think has probably been a real change for people, and I think retail does have a, a role to play in that. Perfect. Building on from that, many landlords, both commercial and residential, they were forced to reduce their rents to keep properties occupied throughout COVID. Combined with the speculation of an increase in capital gains tax, do you think the investment property um, is no longer as lucrative as it once was? Well, I think interest, uh, investment property is, yeah, I think, I think the the role of investment property and the role of, particularly on the residential side, it's it's really important to to look at sort of the supply and demand dynamic that's that's out there in rental. 
And yeah, obviously there have been some, some changes in tax regimes on impacting the rental market. And fundamentally, the market though is one of, they're probably, they're not being enough rental supply to meet rental demand. I think what we, what we will, what we are, we will continue to see is that actually the rental market is attractive for those who want to invest into, into, into rental property. As long as you're picking the right properties in the right, in the right places and you're running them well and providing a really good product for tenants. Cause I think that's the other side of, this, of, of this is that we are seeing the change in what people demand from their home. I think people have reflected on what their needs are and quite those demands for what they want from their homes certainly changed and people have quite, I think people have expected much more from their homes now. And I think if landlords are looking at that and cognizant of that and providing a good product, a good home, then tenants, we prepare to pay, pay for that. And I think there are still lots of people out there who want you know, who are wanting to live their lives as, as tenants, you know, choosing to be to be tenants because it actually fits with a more flexible lifestyle. I think there definitely is that there's still that supply, as I say, still that supply shortage. There's still that demand imbalance, which will support the 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 the, the rental market for some time to come. So, as a broad question, where do you see property heading in the next five to ten years? Then, so I, I think we we'll probably see a. a yeah, well, firstly, anybody who's been trying to predict where things are going over the last 18 months has had to smash their, their crystal ball because it's, 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 it's pretty tough. But, you know, if, if we're trying to look a few years out about what, where, where might things head, I, I think this, this point around people really assessing their home environment and understanding what it is they want, becoming quite specific about what they want from their home, I think that's that's going to remain. I mean, it was important before, but it's even more important now. Great. So you wrap things up. Do you have any advice to give to university students? Well, yeah, far be it for me to give advice, but I mean, I suppose uh, I think back on what I would like somebody to, or what people did tell me, which I appreciated, or what people didn't tell me, which I wish I'd known. I can kind of, kind of pass that on for what it's worth and people can decide whether that's useful to them or not. And I suppose my first First point would be just generally enjoy it. I think sometimes, yeah, things can be, you know, education can be very stressful and trying to move towards getting a job and really stressing about a job can remove a bit of the enjoyment of, of it all. I personally, I, I mentor somebody who's going through their university. I know how hard it is um, to find a job and to find an internship. And through my discussions with her, I don't know how difficult that can be and how and stressful that can be. But I think, yeah, where one can, one should remember that, yeah, these, these years go by really, really quickly and really try and enjoy them. So that'd be my first, just to step back and get a bit of perspective on it and enjoy what you're doing. And I suppose the best bit of advice I got, I think, was somebody gave a presentation when I started at Wharton. And I wish that they had done that when I started at Durham. But they, they used the expression, which was like, um, uh, squeeze the lemon, they said. And I think this definitely would apply at a place like LSE. Just so much is, is there provided for you at uh, university in terms of you know, I'd imagine speeches by incredible people who've done incredible things you're probably there with classmates who've done incredible things in their own spare time and are just amazing in, in class with what they say and there are probably loads of clubs that are just there you're probably falling over clubs when you come out of your classroom there's probably a bunch you know the clubs all over the place I'd imagine there's investment management there might be energy, energy efficiency stuff there might be there's probably a thousand things that one could be doing and uh, my advice would be try and take as advantage of as much of that stuff as possible because that's 
much harder to get involved in once you're outside of a university environment. And you kind of take some of that for granted, I think, when you're that all these opportunities are there for you, for you to try. And so, yeah, you should come out of there thinking that you gave it absolutely everything and that you took advantage of all the extra lectures that were on or when an amazing professor is doing some extra stuff or whatever it might be to, to actually go along to those. Because there's always, you know, that, yeah, it's such a short space of time where you have access to that. It'll be gone in the flash. And it is much harder to do that when you're, if you're working. I would definitely say that was the thing, you know, to, to take responsibility, to take advantage of that, to like challenge yourself to, to, to really squeeze, <laughs> squeeze every ounce of, because um, you'll, you'll get a lot out of it. And you might give a bit back as well, get involved in those clubs because other people will probably benefit from, you might, you know, might surprise yourself about how much you can give back and other people will definitely um, appreciate. I certainly found I learned a huge amount from my peers at, at uni, which uh, was really, was amazing. And, and I suppose the other, the, maybe the last thing based on where we even started this conversation was around, I suppose, career paths. I think it was the, we talked about paths and maybe it's just, just not fret too much about a path and having things mapped out. I, mean, I think you should have, you should have an idea of how things might, you might, might, might want them, but you should really think hard about what's important to you and what, what, the, what are the qualities of a role that are important to you rather than what the specific company is or what the specific specific role is and what, what's important, what motivates you and also realize that you can change. So it's not you, once you've got a role, I think back to how I, I mentioned at the beginning, I you know, think back to my time and currency options, currency option, com, currency option, option confirmations, manually checking currency option cha- trades. And, but that doing that, putting the effort in there and, and I actually had quite a good time to work with some great people, but that was the thing that enabled me to get my role the following year and then having those two roles meant that i was able to get onto the graduate scheme you're able to it, it builds and you can change direction but it's around yeah not not fretting too much about it and but giving it a rule staying true to yourself and yeah thinking about what motivates you and, and trying to learn and enjoy uh, the time that you have perfect i'm sure our listeners had a lot to take from this episode uh, thank you very much tim for taking the time to speak with us today thanks Sam. great and thank you to our audience Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more episodes to come.